As we come to our text this morning, let's go to the Lord and ask His blessing on our time and His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly humbled that You would save sinners like ourselves as we just sung. For we are men, women, and children who have many idols in our lives other than You. For we seek after the pleasures and the allurement of this world far too often. And Lord, would you come right now, speak to us through your word so that we might see that those idols are futile and we might see that you have offered us so much more in your son, Jesus Christ. So when we rest in the sufficiency of his work for us and everything else that he provides for us in this life, that we might not look to anyone other but to him alone so come now holy spirit open our eyes that we may behold the beauties of your truth we pray this in christ's name amen i want you to think for a moment what causes you to worry what is it that causes your heart to begin to race your hands to get sweaty what causes you to imagine pain or loss, or doom. It was my first day of seminary, and I can remember receiving all the syllabi for my classes, and I began to look over the sheer volume of pages I was going to have to read, and I'd been out of school about six or seven years at this time. I began to look at all the papers that I was going to have to write, and in that moment... I felt this overwhelming fear and worry, like somebody just dropped a thousand pound weight on my chest. Begin to, you know, breathe deeply and shortness of breath, and my hands begin to sweat and thinking, there is no way I'm going to get all this done in this semester. I'm going to be one of the ones who fails out of seminary. All my peers are going to think that I'm a failure. And again, in that moment, just overwhelmed with insecurity, with doubt, and with worry. I wonder if you can relate to similar situations in your own life, experiences which you've had, where you've just been overcome with fear and anxiety. See, anxiety is pervasive in our culture. Many of us wake up worrying before our feet even hit the floor. And then we battle anxiety throughout the rest of our day. And if that weren't enough, then some of us, we take our worries back to the pillow with us As we fight, our minds won't go into sleep mode and we're thinking anxiously about what tomorrow will hold and all the what-if scenarios that could play out. Anxiety is so commonplace in our culture that we've kind of turned it into a way of life. Even within the church, anxiety can be viewed as being normal, normal and it's overlooked oftentimes as the sin that it really is. See, we don't readily admit our sins to one another, but worry and anxiety is one of those sins where we'll share that with other people because maybe we think that it's just natural or it's a justified response to what we walk through in our lives. And now while some of us may be more prone and disposed towards worry and anxiety, and some of us may be from past traumatic experiences where they may warrant professional help and even medication, No matter where you are on the spectrum, though, we all are tempted to be anxious and worry. In the book of Proverbs, 
chapter 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. See, anxiety is that weight that pulls us down and paralyzes our ability to do life day in and day out. And it sabotages, it cripples our ability to think clearly in the moment and to make decisions in the midst of all that we're facing. See, worry is an emotional response to a threat to our our well-being or even to the well-being of others that we're worried about or concerned over. We fear in the face of uncertainty. This is why we worry about our jobs because there's no guarantee that we're going to get that promotion that we long for, get that income raise that we think we need. This is why we worry about our finances. We don't know if money's going to be enough to cover all the things that we have to pay for. And so we're anxious. There's no assurance that my relationship with my parents or my relationship with my children is going to be healthy in the future. And so I worry and I'm fearful for how that's going to play out. I don't know if my physical health is going to improve. And so again, I give way to worry. See, in this passage, Jesus is urging us to see that life is more than what we feel or how we're doing. Jesus is revealing that there is no good benefit that comes from anxiety and worry in our lives. And not only that, but our anxiety can give way to many other forms of sin that flow from it. For example... If I'm anxious over my finances, this can lead me to covet other people's things, to be greedy, or even to steal from others. If I'm anxious about relationships, I can avoid or withdraw or even manipulate others that I'm in relationship with. Or if I care too much about what other people think or about how they're going to respond to me, it may cause me to lie and cover the truth. See, thankfully... Jesus not only offers us help here, but he offers us hope in the midst of anxiety. In this passage, he brings to light four realities that we must continually preach to our own souls when we're tempted to walk in continual anxiety and worry. So first, Jesus says, do not be anxious because God cares for his children. Look what he says in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is showing us here that life consists of more than worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. And I imagine that all of us would be pretty embarrassed if everyone else knew how much time and energy and even money we spend on what we look like and what we eat. Last year alone... We as Americans spent over $1 trillion on new clothing and eating out at restaurants. It's not even buying groceries. That's just eating out and buying clothes. $1 trillion. And see, food and clothing, they're representative of the many earthly, temporal idols and things that we worry about and fret over in our day-to-day. And often the reason why we're so worried about these things and anxious because what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat is it has to do with this desire to be liked, to be accepted, to be valued by others, as well as a desire to want to fulfill pleasures and the senses of our bodies to eat fine foods and and buy new clothes. But Jesus is showing us that life's more than the clothes that we put on. It's more than the food that we eat. Are we really going to care at the end of our lives 
what name brand is written in the tag on the back of our shirts, and what fine restaurants that we dined in over our life. See, life consists of way more than the sustenance that we have and how we look. And so we need not spend so much time and worry on these things because God cares for all of life, which includes what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. See, as believers, when we worry about our bank accounts, we worry about our jobs and our health and our children or any other aspect of life, it reveals an unbelief in God's care and concern for His creation. We actually are insulting God and we're insulting ourselves when we worry about the trivial things of life. Because my worrying over these things is grounded in a belief that no one cares and no one sees my situation and he's going to provide me with what I need to be sustained in this life. So therefore, I have to give over to worry and anxiety and fear and try to control and manage my life because I don't believe that God can and will do it for me. Jesus goes on to provide evidence that he does care for his children. If we continue reading, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more value than they? And then verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, he says. See, Jesus says that God provides for the birds of the air for the lilies, for the grass of the field, so that they thrive and they flourish. The birds don't have to store up food in barns for the winter. The grass is given, the flowers are given, the nutrients from the soil and the sunshine and the water they need to grow and flourish to reflect the beauty and the majesty of their Creator. And so if God provides for the grass and the lilies, and he feeds the birds, is he not going to provide for the pinnacle of his creation, those who were created in his very image? Is he going to overlook and dismiss the needs that we have in our lives? See, Jesus is calling us to look at the animals, look at the flowers, and remind us of God's tender care for his creation. And so when you wake up in the morning, you're looking out your window at breakfast, and you hear the birds chirping, you see the squirrels scampering around in your backyard... You see the lilies as you're driving down 65 in the, in the median there. You smell the flowers. Those are object lessons that God has given to us, very tangible things to say. They're saying to us, look, God cares for us. Do you think he's not going to care for you too? You're far more important than we are. Jesus is magnifying the lavishness of God's care and provision for his creation. And so when we worry... We're doubting that God sees the circumstances of our lives and that He's going to act. We're failing to trust in all that God has promised us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in those moments of worry and fear, we're exhibiting little faith, as Jesus says here. That God's going to care for us and He's actually going to do something in our lives. And so Jesus is teaching us. He's saying, trust me. Take me at my word for my promises. For if I do not neglect the least of these, of course I'm not going to neglect you, my beloved children. 
Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 32, he says, God, who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, God is not a reluctant, stingy father who's standing there withholding his gifts and his blessings to us, making us earn them in some way. No, he delights in caring for his children. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 149, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people, the psalmist says. Now here's an encouraging truth for those of us who tend to worry and get anxious. Even in the midst of us exhibiting little faith, God remains faithful to his promises. And so we must remember throughout our day God's faithful character in providing for his beloved children. So Jesus says, don't be anxious because God cares for his children. But he also says, do not be anxious because it's unproductive. Look at verse 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? We can't add one second to our lives by the amount of worry and anxiety that we have in our lives. Being anxious doesn't extend our lives, but you know what it can do? It can produce harmful and very damaging things in our lives like heart disease and stress and sleeplessness. We all know somebody in our lives who is always worried about things. They're a worry wart, right? When they're not worried, they're worried why they aren't worried. Shouldn't I be worried about something? You know, it's those people that if they were to play the lottery and they win, you know, $100 million, and you say, oh, congratulations, and they go, yeah, but you know, I've got to pay those taxes. I'm just worried about, you know, what that may mean. They're constantly worried about everything. And some of us even have kind of used worry in a strange way to bring us comfort. Or we've used worry to manipulate others by getting them to garner attention from them so that we're getting what we desire using our fears and our anxiety so that they notice us and take interest in us. The interesting thing about anxiety and fear is that even though it involves past experiences, anxiety and fear is always focused on the future. Because if we examine this, we see that what lies at the midst of this is conjuring up all these what-if scenarios and then playing the possibilities out in our minds. What if I don't finish my job in, in the time before the deadline comes? What if I don't pass this test that I have next week? What if I don't get into the college that I want to go to? What if my marriage doesn't change? What if my children don't turn out okay? What if this physical ailment really is cancer? And so all these things... They're not rooted in reality, but they're rooted in unbelief that life is not more than what I'm seeing around me. So this anxiety and this fear of the unknown future can leave us paralyzed and leave us crippled. See, no matter what it is that we're fretting over, there's nothing that worry can do to change what God has ordained for our lives and what He's placing in our paths for our good. Jeremiah recognized this in Jeremiah 10. He says, I know, O Lord that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. See, God is unfolding his plans for our lives as a part of a greater redemptive plan in order to bring himself supreme glory. And so we can do nothing 
to change or circumvent or rewrite God's loving and gracious plan for each one of our lives. We can't force that boss to give us that raise. We can't guilt or manipulate our children to believe the gospel so they stop engaging in those destructive behaviors. We often try and we want to, but we can't do it. We can't change our spouse's vain quirks that they do that may frustrate us. We cannot add time to our lives by devoting it to being anxious and fearful as if it's going to change our circumstances. It does no good. I want you to think about a situation in your past that you just stressed out over completely. And it just brought you so much worry. And now that that's in the past, have you ever said since then, you know what, I am so thankful that I spent that time worrying. That was just really helpful and beneficial for me to do all that. No. We always regret when we look back going, man, I wasted so much time worrying about that. And look how it turned out. Or even if it didn't turn out great, I sure didn't didn't take the place that I thought it was in my mind in all these what-if scenarios. See, God not only can, but He promises to remain present with us and engage with us. And not only that, He's going to give us the resources to walk through the path that He has for us, whatever that entails. Fighting against anxiety begins with humbly admitting the futility of our worry. And our weakness to overcome this struggle alone. So we have to first repent and admit that we're weak, that we're sinful, and I have to repent of my anxiety and my fear. Because there's one who's more powerful than I am. And so as the creature, I have to come to him submitting myself to the creator, trusting in his supervision and his provision for my life. In other words, the key to experiencing freedom from our anxiety really comes as we address our own hearts. If we go back to that verse in Proverbs, the second half of that verse, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. See, what we choose to focus our minds and our hearts on governs and influences how we feel in our lives. So we set our minds on temporal, earthly things, We're going to worry about our clothes, about what we're going to eat, about our jobs and everything else. But when we set our minds on the things that are of heaven, that's where we find rest and fulfillment in our lives. Pastor and counselor uh, Paul Tripp, he says, No one is more influential in your life than you are. No one talks to yourself as much as you do. See, subconsciously, maybe even for a few of us, consciously, We are talking to ourselves all throughout the day. We're talking to ourselves about ourselves, about God, and about others around us. And we're saying things like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't think I deserve to be happy. I have to be the best at everything I do. I don't want to try things because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I have to gain my parents' approval at all costs, no matter what that means. And so as these voices begin to dominate and rule our minds and our hearts, we become stricken with anxiety, left feeling paralyzed and insecure and bitter and even hopeless. So in order to break free from worry and fear, we have to speak God's truth 
to ourselves as well as have others speak it into our lives as well. Or to ask ourselves questions as we examine our hearts as worry and anxiety begins to come on. We have to ask ourselves questions like, okay, what is it that's triggering this anxiety in my heart right now? What am I believing that I have to have in this moment, in the midst of my fear? What am I not believing about God's character right now? Where am I trying to find my identity and my worth? Okay, if the worst happens, do I believe that God's presence and His grace is enough for me? And so we have to do diagnostics on our own heart in order to get to the root of where this anxiety and worry and fear is coming from. We have to take our thoughts, our anxious thoughts captive and reflect on what we're not trusting in in those moments. And then we have to hear the gospel. The gospel means good news. We have to hear that in order to have our hearts and our minds freed from the paralyzing effects of stress and anxiety and worry. Have you ever been praying for someone who has to have a major surgery and you go to the hospital the morning of and they go back for surgery and in the moments while you're waiting for them to come out and hear the news from the doctor, you you find your mind again begin to race and you're thinking, okay, it's been two hours, the doctor said it was supposed to be two hours and they still didn't come out yet and your muscles begin to tense up and and again, your mind just goes with all the what-if scenarios that could play out. And then the doctor comes through the door. And he delivers the good news. Hey, everything went perfectly. They're doing fine. They're going to recover just great. And in that moment, your muscles relax and you breathe a sigh of relief. And your mind is put at ease. Why? Because the good news that the doctor delivered brought that assurance and security. Well, God has delivered good news through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, there was perpetual anxiety, perpetual angst and fear, and ultimately death as sin entered the world and chaos through Adam and Eve's sin. But Christ has come and He's dealt with our sin, paid the penalty that we deserve to pay, freeing us, redeeming us and reclaiming us as His own. And now He offers us perfect peace and perfect security in himself. Everything is yes and amen in him. This is the good news that we have to listen to amid all the uncertainties of life in order to combat our fear and our worry. Now we need to be clear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that when we come to God, he's going to make our life free from troubles and, and sufferings. All we have to do is read the scriptures to know the martyrs who died for their faith. Or Paul and others who were persecuted for following Jesus. Jesus is assuring us that God ultimately knows and he cares for all of his creation. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 10, he's speaking about the sparrows. He says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. See what God's doing? He's promising us that He will never leave us and never forsake us, no matter what comes in our way. He doesn't promise us an easy life, but He does promise us rest and peace in every provision that He makes in our lives, even suffering and trials that He brings. Next, Jesus says, Do not be worried, do not worry, because you are different. 
Look what he says in verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What will you eat? What will you drink? Or what shall you wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, Jesus says his followers shouldn't be anxious because this is what the pagans do. The Gentiles, they worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. And they consume themselves with these earthly pleasures and earthly things because they have nothing more worthy to think on. Eat, drink, be merry is the philosophy. But see, it's the non-believer who needs to worry because one day we will all stand before holy God and we will have to give an account for our lives. Now that may sound harsh, may sound insensitive, but these are the truths of Scripture. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, if we deny Christ, then he will also deny us. If you're an unbeliever here, I have to ask you, how will you account for your life? What are you trusting in to satisfy the guilt that you experience and the sins that you have committed? Only Christ can satisfy the payment and the penalty for your sin so that he can offer you his righteousness so that you can stand boldly before God on that day. Would you this morning confess and repent and see your need for Christ so that you might stand again in boldness from the greatest and ultimate fear that you have that will be alleviated on that day because of what Christ has done on for your, on your behalf. And for those of us who are believers, we have to see that when we're anxious and we worry, it contradicts what we say we believe about our Savior. What does it look like and say to the non-believing world around us when we say, yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus, and yet practically we worry constantly about if he's going to provide or not, or how I'm going to get through this next situation. Do we proclaim faith in Christ with our lips, but practically live as though he's not going to take care of us in the day to day? Jesus wants us to see we're different from the world because we belong to him. Peter says, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. And so when the questions and the doubts and the fears try to enter our minds and lead us down a path of worry, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to recapture our minds and our hearts and set them back upon the promises of God. We have to remind us of our identity. That as Paul says, we're new creation. The old is gone, the new has now come. No longer are we to consume ourselves with the earthly pleasures and desires of this world. We belong to another kingdom. See, there's much more to life than just trying to survive and trying to garner all the admiration and the pleasure we can in this life. See, God's knowledge of what we need is far greater than what we think we need ourselves. And so if we're going to consume ourselves with something, let it be for something more than just trying to stay alive and worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. Because we belong to another world, and we belong to King Jesus and His kingdom, He calls us to focus and consume ourselves, consume our lives and our efforts and our energy for building up His kingdom that is eternal. So this leads us to the last reason Jesus gives for us not to be anxious. He says, do not be anxious because of whose kingdom you belong to. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, as believers, though we hold 
American citizenship, we are dual citizens. As we celebrate in a couple of days the country that we live in, we have to constantly remind ourselves we are citizens, we're pilgrims of a greater kingdom that is not of this world. Where our king rules and reigns and is coming again. Our lives are merely a dot on the line of eternity. We don't know how long we're going to have on this earth. And James says in James 4, for your life is just a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. It's gone. And because this is not our home, Jesus pleads for us to seek first His kingdom. And He's connecting this to verse 24 that we looked at last week where He says, no one can serve two masters. It's this idea to sell out for the kingdom because if we serve money, if we serve our careers and our jobs and our children or any other thing other than God, we will live in perpetual worry and angst. It's inevitable. But if we seek first the kingdom of God, He says, all these daily things that I know that you need, I will provide them for you. See, Jesus is not squelching our desire to be ambitious people or to pursue things with passion. Not at all. He's actually elevating and amplifying the value of the kingdom so that we focus our ambitions and focus our passionate pursuits on extending and building up the kingdom of God to His glory. Since we belong to the King, we're now ambassadors entrusted with the gospel to take those to people who need to see the beauty and the majesty of Christ and behold them themselves. So practically, when we seek first the kingdom, it means we do everything to the glory of God. This is what Paul says. Whether you eat, whether you drink, do everything to the glory of God. And so in our jobs, whether it's as a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or a student, whatever it may be, that we diligently follow through on our responsibilities and we set forth a God-honoring example, then we're extending God's kingdom. When we pray for opportunities with the lost or with our family members who don't know Christ, and then we seize those opportunities with boldness, holding out the gospel truths to them, calling them to repentance and faith, we're extending the kingdom of God as brothers and sisters come to faith. When we use our talents, our resources, all the skills that God's given us, the gifts and the money that He's entrusted to us, and our time, when we apply those who have need and we do it to bring glory to God and to serve our brothers and sisters, we're doing it for the glory of God and extending His kingdom. Moms, when you spend tireless amounts of energy at home serving your families, teaching your children, and your motivation is to honor God and the calling that He's placed on your life, you're building His kingdom. Do you believe that if we continually pursue His kingdom, that He's going to add everything that we need unto us. Do you believe that this morning? Our motivation for pouring our lives out in complete service to building up God's kingdom is because Christ has poured His life out even unto death for us to provide us everything that we need. This was evidence on the cross. It continues to be so through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So now we can confidently transfer our trust in the things of this world, in building up our own kingdoms, we can transfer that to God alone. 
C.S. Lewis, speaking of this idea of living for the kingdom, he says this, he says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the world to come. And he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Let us run passionately to extend and expand the kingdom of God in the way that we live our lives, submissive to God and all that he calls us to do for his glory. And then notice how he closes this section. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is uh, assuring us that he's going to provide us the grace we need for today. So we don't have to worry and live in fear about what's going to happen tomorrow because he's going to provide more grace for that day when it comes. Have you ever watched somebody from afar as they've walked through an extremely difficult trial in their lives? Maybe it was battling cancer. Maybe they lost a child or a loved one or lost a job. And you think to yourself, how in the world did they walk through that and survive and they didn't just crumble under the circumstances? That's God fulfilling His promise to grant grace in the moment for anything He calls us to walk through. See, we're called to live today, this day, in light of that day that is to come when Jesus returns. We live today with confidence because of Christ's victory on the cross that He brought for us. So we defeat anxiety and we defeat worry by not focusing on tomorrow. It has enough cares of its own. And so when our minds want to play the what-if game and we want to lead us down a path of anxiety and fear and worry, we have to capture our thoughts by asking the Spirit, Lord, please redirect me upon the truths of your word, the promises that you've made that I can stand upon because you've not forsaken one of them. And this doesn't negate planning. And we make our plans, but we hold them openly. And we submit them to the Lord. This is what the Psalm, uh, Proverbs says, Proverbs 16, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we make plans, but we say, Lord, I know that you may change these. You may scrap these all together. So I'm going to trust, and I'm going to hold them loosely. Because none of us knows what tomorrow holds. None of us are even promised tomorrow. But what we can bank on is that if God gives us another day, His mercies will be new as our eyes are opened to that day. Great is thy faithfulness, we say. Morning by morning, His mercies are new. So no matter what you're facing in your life this morning, whether it's marital trouble, whether it's recovering from abuse or addiction, whether it's physical pain, parental fatigue, insecurity, loneliness. No matter what it is, God will give you grace in this moment as we set our gaze upon Him. And so rest in His provision, knowing that He knows the beginning of your life to the very end of your life and everything in between. And then use the resources that He affords you not to build your own kingdom, not to indulge your pleasures in this world, but to expand and enhance the very kingdom of God.
God knows we need provision. And so he's offered us this table that we're about to partake in to give us a visible sign when we want to worry and doubt. To say, I have provided for you. I've given you my son. So let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we do so, there'll be no room for worry and anxiety and fear because his sufficient grace will drown out and cast away all the fears of this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are a people who worry far too often about trivial things that are temporary, that are not lasting, but will pass away. And Lord, we confess that we are weak and we need you to uphold us by your Spirit's power to trust that not only that you see and know the details of our lives, but that you care intimately for us and that you will provide us everything that we need in the moment that we need it. Lord, strengthen us as we come to this table upon the gospel. Feed our weary souls so that we might rest, rest in the finished work of Christ and live with boldness to participate in your kingdom work to bring you the glory that is due your name. We pray all this in Christ's matchless name. Amen.